And welcome back into the Bama Bee Podcast, brought to you by Wickles Pickles. This is your host, Clint Lamb, sitting here once again with Brett Hudson. Brett, brother, how you doing this morning? Man, I've been cleaning gutters this morning. Are you serious? No, I'm dead serious. Yeah. Um, you know, when when the girls were born, my dad liked to joke that I'm married with a mortgage and two kids, so I might as well be an old man. Um, and, and I knew he was right at the time, and I've only gotten more evidence since then that he is increasingly right. But the way he was – I learned recently that he was even more right than I had previously thought he was, which was next week, as people who listen to this podcast know, Bama doesn't have a game. It's their, it's their off week before – the LSU game. So I'll probably take a few days of, of vacation somewhere in there. And I, I'm, I've more or less booked my first day of vacation to drop the girls off at daycare, come back to the house and clean the gutters and mow the lawn and weed eat and edge and leaf blow and maybe plant some grass seed and do some grill maintenance and all this other stuff. And I'm actually looking forward to it. Like, I've been looking forward to it for over a week. I cannot wait to do it. So that's how I knew that I am old now, is that I'm looking forward to doing things like cleaning the gutters and and lawn maintenance and grill maintenance and all that stuff. And um, I, I got a head start on the gutters today since the tropical storm or it may be a hurricane now. I don't I don't know. Um, it's coming in and we're going to get a bunch of rain. So I figured I might as well get a head start on that. So the gutters are, are at least prepared for that, but it's quite yeah, humid outside. I've been cleaning gutters. It's quite humid outside, right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I kind of stepped out for a minute and, and noticed that. And I'm like, yeah, this is not going to be one of those days where I hate humidity. You know, I, I can handle heat. I can handle cold. I can handle cold very well, but humidity where I just, I'm not a fan, not a fan at all. And, and and it's not that it's like terribly bad, but it's enough where, you know, you're like, it's, it's late October. This shouldn't be happening. This should not be an issue anymore. And so I guess just to, you know, protest, um, <laughs> the, 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 the weather, I'm just not going to, I'm going to try to avoid going outside as much as possible until that humidity goes away. And it might not be going away anytime soon with that weather coming in. But today, speaking of weather, Speaking of weathering the storm, do you think Mississippi State is going to be able to weather the storm against Alabama this weekend? How dare you? Um, <laughs> I think they'll cover, but I, I don't think they'll they'll win outright. Let, let me ask you this. Um, we can kind of break this down in further detail and position groups and uh, scheme and, and things like that. But I want you to answer the question as as simply as it's presented, and then we can go into it as you wish. Is Mississippi State presenting Alabama the best defense it's faced this year? Oh, uh, surprisingly, um, maybe. Uh, the thing, like just looking at the schedule on its surface, you would say Bama's already faced Big Bad Georgia, right? Like they've already gone through what is somewhat likely to be the SEC championship game. Uh, I mean. And pretty much everyone thought that would be the the game on Bama's schedule. Uh, some people fell for the the Florida gimmick. I have not. Maybe they'll uh, make me eat my words later in the season. But I, I mean, I think that's the second best team in the SEC, unless Florida or LSU or Auburn finds a way to put it together. But I don't think anybody sees those things as necessarily likely. So they've already gone through that test. And yet this might be the best defense they're facing this year, at least well, in the regular season. Um, I still think it's Georgia, uh, ultimately, just because what Georgia has going against it that Mississippi State doesn't is that Georgia's already played Alabama. So statistically speaking, Georgia's already gone against by far the best offense they're going to play all year. And, you know, Mississippi State hadn't. We'll see what these numbers look like uh, come – you know, Sunday or Monday, uh, I guess Monday when we actually record the, the recap pod. But, you know, you look at a lot of these top, you know, defenses in the SEC as far as total defense, um, Georgia, Texas A&M, and Missouri, three of the top five have played Alabama already. The 
you know, Kentucky hasn't and Mississippi State hasn't. Mississippi State, of course, is playing them this weekend. So we'll kind of see where this Mississippi State defense stacks up in comparison to, you know, Georgia has given up a lot more passing yards, but they, it's because a ton of that came against Mac Jones and that Alabama passing offense. So we'll kind of have to see. But the bottom line is, is Mississippi State's defense is actually really good. And what's crazy about that is I thought the exact opposite coming into this year. I thought they were going to struggle really bad defensively. A lot of the pieces that they had coming back, you know, I liked Erol Thompson. I liked Nathan Pickering as far as, you know, his future potential. Marcus Murphy was a guy that I liked, but I did not expect this defense to be performing as well as it has. And I did not expect this Ole Miss, or excuse me, not Ole Miss, Mississippi State offense to be struggling as much as it has. So is that not weird to you? It is different. Yeah, this is not the way I I expected things to go for, for Mississippi State. And you make a good point about uh, the competition that, that both Georgia and Mississippi State have have faced this year. I mean, Mississippi State had the the benefit of facing Kentucky earlier this year, who is – I mean, they still lost that game 24-2, so there's that. But Kentucky is absolutely allergic to offense this year. I don't know if yeah. you've seen – their yeah. recent numbers. Did you see what they did in their last game against Missouri? Yeah, thank goodness uh, Garantano threw them two pick sixes early to get them, you know. Yeah, they've been terrible offensively. Seriously. Defensively, they've been good. It's wild that Lynn Bowden University all of a sudden is allergic to offense. It's oh. it's insane. But Mississippi State does have the benefit of having played Kentucky, whereas uh, Georgia has played uh, Alabama and, and they got an Auburn offense that while it didn't pop off against Georgia, it it can in theory. Um, they do have a common opponent in Arkansas, and I'm I'm looking at the total numbers right now. Arkansas put up 275 yards of offense on Mississippi State, and they put up 280 yards against. Georgia. So pretty, pretty comparable compare, pretty comparable performances there. Arkansas did it on. Yeah, they did it on. Well, no, actually, the, the yards per play is pretty similar to 4.223 Mississippi State and 4.18 against Georgia. So very, very similar uh, performances there. So at least on, on one common opponent, they seem to be pretty pretty uh, comparable. But to your point about the, the makeup of the Mississippi State team, I agree. I mean, they for for their shortcomings in other areas, they seem pretty talented or at least deep at the wide receiver position, which you, you obviously need for an air raid attack, especially after they got Terrell Shavers out of the transfer portal. They've got a couple of really good offensive linemen there. Uh, they're tight ends, which – they don't have tight ends anymore. They're an air raid school. Their tight ends seem to be kind of multiple in that they could fit immediately in a air raid type scheme. Um, And they had so many losses over the last couple of seasons on defense. So a lot of credit goes to Zach Garnett, the defensive coordinator there at Mississippi state who I've I've had some, some state fans a couple weeks ago, kind of, hit me up joking that Zach Arnett's going to be the defensive coordinator at Alabama next year. Um, so they're, they're, he's clearly doing well at, uh, at Mississippi State to the point that uh, they think he might get some some bigger and better opportunities, which would not be atypical. I mean, Bama did take two Mississippi State assistants um, in the last offseason, not the one that just ended, but the one prior. So there there is a, a precedent for that if uh, – if that comes to pass. But I, I do think it's strange that this Mississippi state team is um, defense first, but it also makes sense when you look at the talent, like you, you mentioned Errol Thompson and uh, I'm, I'm going to add another one, Aaron Brule. They're both just awesome linebackers. I think Errol Thompson's one of the best linebackers in the sec. The fact that he was third team, all sec in the preseason is preposterous. There are not six linebackers in the sec that are better than Errol Thompson. There, there just aren't. And Aaron Brule has been a, a breakout guy in, in the making for a while. Marcus Murphy's very experienced at, at safety. Fred Peters is a promising talent in the secondary, as are Martin Emerson and Sean Preston. So their their numbers are, are really good, but I think their defensive front is what 
leads their team, Errol Thompson and Aaron Brule at linebacker. Marquis Spencer, That I swear Marquis Spencer got to Mississippi State two years before Riley Norris got to Alabama, and he's still there somehow. I don't, I don't understand <laughs> the math, but he's there and he's, he's performing. You mentioned Nathan Pickering's doing well on the defensive front. They got a Juco guy, Tyrus Wheat, um, who is, who is hit for them immediately. So while I think Georgia is overall more talented, I mean, that, that's pretty clear state has a pretty comparable, if not slightly better defense on the, on the whole. Well, and, and I'll say this for Mississippi State's defense. Imagine all this pressure that is, you know, that your offense is putting on you. And sometimes it's a matter of when your offense is scoring a lot of points, that's forcing, uh, and this does actually help Mississippi State's defense in this particular case, but I'll get to my, you know, my main point here in a second. But when you have an offense that's constantly scoring points, like in Alabama's, the way that opposing offenses are having to play your defense is they're pretty much in score now mode. They're in two-minute drill mode for four quarters, and it's hard to de- defend uh, two-minute drill. There's a reason that NFL teams struggle with it, college teams struggle with it. It's just it's very difficult to defend, so that can make your defense look worse. And in that particular case, the fact that Mississippi State's offense has been garbage has you know probably would help the Mississippi State defense. But on the flip side of that, you also got to think about how many bad situations. Mississippi State's offense is putting the Mississippi State defense in, you know, throwing these interceptions. And, and now you got a, a a first and 10 from, you know, on the 30 yard line going in and your defense got to try to go out there and get a stop. The fact that in those situations they've been playing fairly well, um, I think it's, you know, that there's there's ways to justify kind of both ways to kind of prove that they are a pretty effective defense. And then also to say, OK, maybe. You know, but the, Kentucky, when they get, I mean, with what they did against Tennessee, for, for an example, they throw uh, Jared Garantano with those two pick sixes. Kentucky takes a two touchdown lead, control of the game. They're able to just essentially, they're not worried about slinging the ball around and picking up chunk yardage and playing catch up. They're looking to grind clock, use their run game. If it's three yards at a time, no big deal. And so that, you know, for Tennessee's defense, that kind of helps them look better, even though at the same time, you're, you're, you've been put in a terrible situation because you're down, you know, as far as your team goes. So it's kind of hard for me to say how good or how bad this Mississippi State defense is, but I think they are pretty good. I'm not willing to put them on Georgia's level, but I do think that they are good enough to cause Alabama some problems, not to the point where they're going to stop Alabama, but anybody that thinks that Alabama is going to pretty much just have their way, which they, they have pretty much with everybody, and I get that. And I, like I said, I still think Alabama has plenty of success offensively, but when you're comparing it to like an old Miss defense or something like that where it's like – I don't know. There was like forty something yards that Alabama did, you know, didn't end up earning that they right. could have earned based off of you know drive length and all that stuff. Yeah, it's just uh, anybody that's expecting that sort of defense or going against that sort of defense is is going to be you know um, su- surprised uh, certainly. But it's just a matter of can this Mississippi State offense do anything against a an Alabama defense that kind of uh, people think that has turned a corner. We talked about that yesterday. Um, so you would think that things are heavily favoring Alabama's defense, and I think they are to some degree. But I also think, and we've talked about this, and I wanted to get your thoughts on it. Uh, at some point, you got to think the Mississippi State offense is going to get things turned around, right? I mean, at some point. Yeah, that's that's the thing about the the air raid system that is so scary is that it can happen at any point like it it can just come together it's a very simple system people make the joke about it having like four plays in the playbook that's uh, a little misleading disingenuous is probably a better word for it um but it can come together at, at any given time it's it's a foundationally simple system it's entirely based on execution it's not based on advanced schematic principles that have to change based on what the opponent is doing differently or or what you have at your disposal in terms of of personnel it's entirely based on execution if you have guys that understand what they're doing and are physically skilled enough to do it it can hang 600 passing yards on you in a heartbeat like it did to lsu and bo pelini if you're not executing your principles very well then it can do what it did against 
I'm trying to pull up the, the game log. It can do like it did against Kentucky and attempt 70 passes to gain 275 yards, otherwise known as 3.9 yards per attempt. That's with crazy. With touchdowns and six interceptions. It can very easily do both of those things based on the execution that you have at your disposal on, on any given day. So the last three games have been the, the bad part of that. They've averaged 5.2, 3.9, and 5.5 yards per attempt over, over those three games combined. 170 attempts are going to get it done. But when you do like they did against LSU – when you have everything clicking, you're 36 for 60 for 623 yards and five touchdowns. You can light somebody up. I do think there's an interesting matchup there with how it matches up with a Alabama secondary. That what what would you say is the right word for it? Like still trying to find its footing, I guess. Like it it, it obviously has Patrick Sertan the second who's balling out. Josh Job has been steady. I've thought. Uh, Jordan Battle has has played well, and Malachi Moore has played well, which leaves, in in this case, two positions, since you're almost exclusively playing um, Dime next week, or or this week, I should say. You're you're still looking for your second deep safety and your money guy that you're you're not sure of what your answers are there. Right now, it's some combination of Daniel Wright and DeMarco Hellams, but – or Brian Branch, if DeMarco Hellams is the guy at deep safety, but Alabama doesn't really have its options uh, solidified there yet. So if if Mike Leach's air raid can kind of pick on those two of the six in the secondary that aren't all the way locked down yet, then there's there's potential offensively here. Yeah, um, it, and that's what will be interesting to me. Um, now granted on the, on the flip side of that, if Alabama struggles to get a pass rush, uh, against Mississippi state, something is very wrong with Alabama's pass rush. You know, last week going against Tennessee, one of the better offensive lines, if not, you know, not just in the sec, but in the country. So it's kind of, wasn't a huge surprise. Uh, they had very limited success getting after Jarrett Garantano, but this Mississippi State offensive line is is rough. You know, Charles Cross, the former five-star uh, tackle coming out of high school, he's actually probably been the best offensive lineman for Mississippi State, but Greg Island, Cole Smith, Darian Parker, Darian Parker hadn't been bad. Um, he's been pretty good too, but, uh, you know, Johnson, they're starting right tackle just across the board. They're, they're giving up, you know, a few sacks, but they're giving up tons of hits and tons of pressures, uh, total pressures like QB hurries and QB hits, which are total to be considered pressures. Um, well that along with sacks, but they've just been very poor across the board. And, and, uh, KJ Costello has been hit a lot when Will Rogers has been in there. He's been hit quite a bit. And it just, it makes me think that, Alabama should have an absolute field day. I understand that they haven't been an excellent pass rushing team. I understand that they have guys like true freshman Will Anderson, who's still trying to get his footing as far as, uh, you know, he's played pretty well at times, but at the, at the same time, he, he's kind of struggled to finish a lot. I think he's going to get home a lot this week. I, I would definitely think that this is going to be his coming out party uh, you know, going against Johnson, the starting right tackle, or even Charles Cross, even though Cross has been pretty good. And then the interior, you know, Christian Barmore should also have just a huge game because uh, he's been very effective as far as interior pass rush. He's probably been uh, the, the most effective interior pass rusher that Alabama has had up to this point. And the interior of that offensive line for Mississippi State is just it's, it's terrible. And, and it's been a, a constant issue. K.J. Costello can't step up in the pocket and deliver throws. He's not a very mobile guy. And you're combining those two things, a poor offensive line and a stationary quarterback, and you're getting what you're getting. You know, and against uh, – uh, LSU in, in the opening week, you know, LSU's pass rush had a little bit of success, but they are kind of, we're breaking in new guys. They don't have anybody necessarily right now that is a, you know, Kalevon Chasen or anybody that's a, considered a dominant pass rusher uh, on the defensive front right now. And so they weren't able to get a ton of pressure and you saw what Mississippi state was able to do offensively since then they got good pass rushers for Kentucky they've got good pass rushers uh, really you know there's a lot of teams that's got at least one or two pretty good pass rushers and Alabama is, is is right there as far as the potential of it but they haven't been able to put it all together 
I think this is going to be a game that Alabama's pass rush is going to have a tremendous amount of success, and hopefully that kind of catapults them into a spot where they're feeling very confident and good, and they can you know get momentum swinging on that front in a positive direction. But this Mississippi State offensive line isn't even in the same ballpark as Tennessee's offensive line. Uh, so maybe if there are issues that Mississippi State would be able to exploit in the secondary, typically will they have, you know, will KJ Costello or Will Rogers, whoever ends up seeing reps, will they have enough time to actually be able to exploit it? And that's something that I don't really know or don't think they'll be able to. Alabama could certainly use that, right? Some some success in its its pass rush because they haven't haven't had a ton of it this year. Yes, absolutely. Uh, th- yeah, this is one of those games where if they come out on the other end of it and they weren't able to generate a, a, a quite a bit of pressure, not just you know a little bit of pressure, showing a little bit of positive growth, it's got to be like this is been, this is far and away your best game as far as your pass rush. I'm going to be extremely concerned for them moving forward because this is the perfect setup with the amount of passing that you're going to see from a Mike Leach offense with the amount of, you know, the, the, to the degree that the offensive line has been struggling. It's just, it, it's set up perfectly for Alabama to have a ton of success. And, and like I said, if you, if they're not able to generate that pressure, I'm going to be concerned, but it's also going to show up. You know, it, it's going to show up in the in the box score because Mississippi State is going to have quite a bit of success slinging around the football. Because I think that that's the, mainly the problem here with Mississippi State's offense is the pressure that their offensive line is allowing. You've got some playmakers at receiver. KJ Costello, when he, he like I said, he's a, he's a stationary quarterback. He's built for the pocket. If he didn't have a consistent pocket and is constantly breaking down, he's going to break down, and that is a huge issue. And you don't have Kylan Hill. Uh, or you haven't had Colin Hill recently to take any sort of pressure off of the passing game. It's been all about the pass. And, and granted, I understand that Mike Leach, even when Colin Hill was in there, you know, he was using Colin Hill a lot in the passing game, wasn't really using him much in the run game, but it's just his presence in the backfield. And then also you have that safety net for uh, KJ Castillo. That's something that they haven't had. You know, I think that Colin Hill, I think anybody would agree He's their best player, or he was their best player offensively. And so not having him in the lineup certainly hurts you. It's not going to help you at all. And so it's just, it's mostly been a lack of being able to keep, um, you know, uh, the, the, the quarterback adequately protected. And that's something that Alabama has to exploit. I, I agree. And to quickly switch back to the, the defensive side, side of things on, on Mississippi State's end, to kind of go back to the, the pass rush thing, I do wonder if, while we both seem to think that um, Mississippi State's defense could be the the best that Bama's faced this year, you're you're not quite as high on them as I am. I do wonder if this is kind of a bad matchup for them because the the strength of their defense is clearly in their front with their with their inside linebackers and their and their defensive linemen and their edge uh, linebackers on the front, while Alabama's got one of the best offensive lines in the country. And, and while people have critiqued their, their run blocking at times to both fair and unfair extents, their, their pass protection has been on point for pretty much the entire season, has it not? Yes, absolutely. So while I think State may have one of the better defenses in the SEC when all is said and done – I'm not sure that this is the best matchup for them because their their secondary is fine. They don't disrupt a lot of passes. They're they're kind of towards the the middle of the pack or, or even lower than that in the SEC in terms of PBUs and interceptions. They have been pretty disruptive defensively with their rush, and this is not the team to to do that with. Like Tennessee impacted Mac a few times, but there was always that dump off to Najee, which is why he had. Six catches in the last game. This this scheme is kind of set up to give Mac that opportunity should he be impacted by by pressure. So I'm not sure that this is a, a great matchup for State in that regard. And plus, Mac ran a couple of times against Tennessee. Showed little showed little scoop. He did, uh, which I thought was great to see. I've I've heard that he runs in like the four seven to four eight range i don't know how true that is it's just it's something that was floated out there and i was i remember when i read it picture of him in the locker room shirtless i did i did did like what hey i gotta be honest with you that that gave a lot of us average joes out here you know 
how, made us feel made us feel better about ourselves. No, for sure. But how does how does that body run a four seven? <laughs> you say. And, uh, and look, just to be clear, my body is like thirty times worse than Max. Okay, so I'm not casting stones at those who don't deserve it. I'm genuinely wondering how it's possible for that <laughs> body to run a four seven. <laughs> what what where is the mat like is it in the long legs like how what does he do it how is it possible uh, i'll never forget and i wonder if this happened you know if you're mac i i can remember when i i ultimately ended up back at linebacker back when i played in high school but i, I was a linebacker and then for a short period you know i was probably somewhere in the neighborhood you know and in, in high school things were way different i was probably between 5'11 and 6 foot at the time and you know, early in my high school career and I got moved to the defensive line because I was about probably like 220. And for back then, that was pretty good size for, you know, even a defensive lineman. So I got moved to defensive line and my defensive line coach was like, hey, when you go to McDonald's, if you're getting a cheeseburger, get two. You know, if you're getting if you're getting wings and you're getting eight, you double it to 16. And I put on a lot of bad weight. That was not the way to properly go about that at all. And then, of course, and then, of course, I ended up getting moved back to linebacker and I was this little butterball. And, and I mean, it was just like I was way slower and, and I was dragging. It was just it was a rough time. But I wonder if you're like if you're thinking, Mac, you're kind of a stationary quarterback. You got a little bit of mobility, but we really need to get some mass on you to be able to absorb some of these hits. I wonder if anybody was now. Grant, I'm not saying Alabama's coaching staff is out there telling them get two McDonald's cheeseburgers or anything like that. But sometimes the, you know, coaches just say, we need more mass on you. However, we need to make that happen. We need to make that happen. And, and I mean, it, I'm not criticizing the guy's diet. Cause like I said, I mean, everybody's kind of giving him a hard time. I've seen that picture a ton, but it's like 99 out of a hundred people that are kind of giggling at that photo. It's like, I mean, I don't know about you, but if you looked in the mirror, like I have zero room to talk as far as giving him any sort of hard time but it does bear the question because i understand you weren't making fun of him you were just questioning right. how does that guy run a four seven and that's that's a fair that's a fair statement but we did it's, see him kind of get on the move a little bit and he looked pretty good doing it well we we know that that body is peak male performance first of all we know that <laughs> that is that is a fact you know, Mac did say, I think this was like late in the preseason, maybe that putting on weight was an emphasis for him and his girlfriend was making him a plate of cookies nightly or something. That's right. I, yeah. Yeah. I forgot I, about that. I'm, I'm going to see if I can find that quote relatively quickly. I don't want to like over exaggerate it or, or anything, but I, I feel like he said at some point that there was a regular plate of cookies from his his girlfriend no i i can't find it uh at least not in the way i, I normally find it. I google it somewhere he clearly didn't say it to us in a regular media event oh here we go he said it in early september on a radio show um i'm, I'm pulling up okay yeah he said during an appearance on the Zach Gelb show, I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly. If you not, are. I'm sorry. You are. Yeah. Um, Jones said his girlfriend bakes roughly ten cookies every night for him. See, and and, and that's something that I that's completely awesome. forgot about that quote. But that tells you, you know, I was sitting there thinking, oh, I guarantee you, Alabama's, you know, coaching staff or, or it wasn't tr- coaching staff, it was the the weight and conditioning and the nutritionist i'm sure they weren't telling him to eat two cheeseburgers but kind of sounds like that's the kind of advice he was being given uh well look so all this tells me is mac is mac is winning at life he's the starting quarterback at the university of alabama he's balling out he very well could be a heisman finalist and his girlfriend is making him a plate of cookies every night he's he's living the dream that, that that is the dream, and and there was a study that came out recently, not recently, probably about a year, maybe two years ago, that said that uh, the females are are preferring the dad bods, and I remember it gave myself a lot of hope, and maybe <laughs> Mac Jones is is kind of looking at that and saying, you know what, I'm gonna go ahead and get a head start. I'm still gonna be the stud quarterback, and I'm just throwing dimes, but I can go ahead and rock the dad bod, and then I'm the perfect man for any female that would, you know. That would that would have me. So he might be on to something. Maybe we all bow to our to our tr- one true king, Mac Jones. That's right. Somehow it went from Dylan Moses to to Mac Jones. 
weird how that happens. But no, Dylan is his majesty. Oh, yeah, you're right. Not you're me. right. You're right. Dylan is his majesty, and Christian is the bishop, right? You're absolutely right, 100%. Yeah. Uh, but it, it, getting back to the kind of breakdown, when, when you were talking about Mac and, and how it could be, um, you know, based off of the strengths of this Mississippi State defense, it could be a rough go for them. And that is one area, I think, as far as, you know, Slade Bolden and and Miller Forrestall and these guys, you know, Erol Thompson, as good as he's been as far as being a run defender, he is particularly great in coverage. You know, he's 6'1", 250, built more like a run stopping, you know, more of a thumper linebacker. And he's got a little bit of coverage chops, uh, a little bit, but he just, you know, that's not his strong suit. And so I think that you're probably going to get Alabama trying to attack him as much in coverage as possible. Um, and, and so that's an area I think they could exploit. I completely agree that the secondary, surprisingly, going back and looking, I think Mississippi State's got a pretty good, uh, you know, back half of their defense, but it's not something that I think is going to be able to stop Alabama. And that's what I keep coming back to. I look for, okay, how can, can Mississippi state have success against Alabama? And you start saying, okay, can they consistently stop the run and maybe try to make Alabama one dimensional, which is something you typically wouldn't want to do against Alabama, but you've got to take your success where you can. But you look at that and you say, I mean, I think they could have some success stopping Najee Harris in the run game, but I don't think they're going to have it do it consistently. Okay. Well, do we think they could consistently stop the pass? No, absolutely not. Even as good as I think they've been in coverage, they've got, I think, the top pass defense in the SEC. I think that's more of a product of some of the the offenses they've gone against because you got to think, as, as rough as Miles Brennan looked, it being his first start in week one, and you know he had a couple of, of bad plays, he still threw for well over 300 yards, if I'm not mistaken, and had a ton of success. And so you look at Alabama – kind of being a much more well-oiled machine because that was the other thing that I think played into Mississippi State's favor. They got LSU in week one with all these brand-new starters, new coordinators on both sides of the football, and so they're trying to figure some things out when they went against Mississippi State. I would be curious to see how this Mississippi State defense did going against where LSU is at right now, even with T.J. Finley as their starter. In fairness, couldn't you say all the same things for Mississippi State in that game? Uh, yeah, it, yeah. Starters, new coordinators on both sides. That's yeah. That is a very that's a very fair point. Yeah, uh, it's just like that's what I say. Like people say, well, when you try to point to Mississippi State's defense and and the reason that they've been good, there's not a whole lot of offenses that they've gone against that are you know you can point and say, hey, they kept this offense in check, and the one that they probably could would be the LSU. But at the same time, that's an unknown for both parties, in my opinion. Because you are breaking in, uh, you know, with where I've seen tremendous growth from Miles Brennan before he got banged up, and then T.J. Finley, much different game plan, establish the run, play T.J. Finley off of it, make sure he stays comfortable. Um, so, you know, I, I, I'm not saying that I think that I, I think Mississippi State's defense would certainly have a lot more success than South Carolina did against a T.J. Finley-led LSU offense, but. I, I do have my reservations about how much success that they could have against a Miles Brendan offense right now, but there that's an unknown factor, right? That's not me saying, oh, I guarantee you they wouldn't, because you make a great point. Um, I couldn't really tell you how much better Mississippi State's defense is now than it was back then. Um, you know, and, and and also to be fair, that was one of those games where you were actually getting a little bit of life, actually a lot of life from the Mississippi State offense, and that allowed. Uh, or forced LSU's offense to be, you know, trying to play keep up with the Mississippi State offense, and that put more pressure on the defense. So even though they allowed over 300 yards, that could be justified as, as well. There's a lot of unknown factors here, um, but we're going to find out a lot this weekend. And it's it's the same thing I said with Georgia, and it's the same reason I thought Alabama was going to win, you know, pretty handedly against Georgia was if you're Georgia's defense in these types of games, the elite defenses never do a very good job against the truly elite offenses. And the fact that we don't know just how good or bad, at least I don't, um, you know, I, I, cause I've tried to go back and watch and say, okay, how good do I think these guys are? And I do think it's a, it's a good defense. I just wouldn't put it up there in the elite category. Um, and then you see Georgia's defense get out there and they really can't stop Alabama either for four quarters. I just don't see Mississippi State's defense being able to do enough to create any sort of gap or not, excuse me, not to create a gap, but to close the gap. 
and and make things you know a little bit more fair for their offense. And so that's why I say you've got to have that week one Mississippi State offense against Alabama's defense. You've got to have one that's putting up you know thirty plus points and hoping that you, that that you know, decent, uh, I keep going down and how I refer to them. You know, at first I said really good and then I got to good and now I'm at decent, but you know, good Mississippi state defense can get just one or two stops to try to make it somewhat respectable and close. Uh, so you're, you're leaning more towards the, the, the taking Mississippi state in the 31 points. Cause that is a lot of points. That's, that's an insane amount of points. Yes. I'm, I'm going to take Mississippi State to cover. Bama to win outright and and relatively comfortably, but but Mississippi State to cover. Okay. Yeah, and, and and I can very much understand that. I haven't really decided one way or the other because like I said, when I'm looking at the the Xs and Os of things, um you know, it it the 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 one thing I I think Alabama's going to win by that much, but I keep coming back to that's just a lot of points, you know, to give up 31 points in an SEC game when you have this Mississippi State offense that at any moment can click and and cause pr- uh, problems. Um, I'll tell you what, if Mississippi State's offense continues to play like they've been playing, Mike Leach won't make it a year, you know, he or he might make it a year, but I don't think he makes it to year two. I really don't. Not when you're offensive, when you brought in to, to have this air raid system um, that everybody says, you know, even if you're going against SEC defenses, it's going to have success. It's impossible to re- to really you, can, you try to contain it, not stop it. And then you come in and, and you have zero offensive success outside of week one. You know, you're putting up two points against Kentucky and throwing six interceptions. And, you know, you're doing all these things. I mean, just there's no way that the, that the, the decision makers in start will say, well, you know, oh, if he just gets better players, um, then then he'll, you know, it, it, that system should start working. No, I think it's that SEC defenses have figured out that system, and they have good enough players where you should be having more success than you're having. There's no way you should be this limited. Um, you know, when when you're putting up the kind of statistical output that Georgia's offense did last year uh, with an archaic offense, that's just not going to get the job done. When you, the whole reason you were brought in to kind of zag when everybody else was zigging. With the you know SEC defense is elite. You bring in an elite offense to try to play keep up. Um, I just don't think it's a winning combination right now. And so with that being said, if you know you you have to think that at some point Mike Leach is going to tweak some things. He's going to start doing some things that that is new that is going to cause some problems. And what better time to do that than against the number two team in the country? All the negative talk that we've had about Mississippi State, if they go toe-to-toe with Alabama in the same way that Ole Miss did a couple of weeks ago, then that kind of really, even if they don't win, that calls the dogs off quite a bit. You know, you're, you're, you're helping yourself, and I think Mike Leach knows that. So all these wrinkles or anything new they're trying to implement or try, I think you're going to have to see it this weekend. You see, can't I, just, go ahead. I disagree. I don't think he's going to do anything different. You think he's going to be stubborn and just throw the same? Consistent. Mike Leach, absolutely. Mike oh, Leach man, does what he you. does. He doesn't yeah. do anything differently. He does exactly what he does. He's uh, his his offensive playbook has not changed since he was at Texas Tech in like 2003 or whatever that was. His, but when his, has it not worked? For, for when this has long? it not worked? Yeah, that, that's the thing. Like even uh, a couple, a few years at Washington State. Huh. I mean, I think that first year they were very kind of maybe mediocre, um, but statistically speaking, they were still putting up quite a bit of yardage. They they weren't leading the the you know college football and stuff in passing or anything like that where they got to. But I want to say that offensively, I just haven't ever seen it you know not work like this over an extended period of time. I mean, um, in, in his first three years at Washington State, he went three and nine, six and seven, three and nine. But I'm talking about statistically offensively, you know, like, yeah, your offense could be having a, a ton of success, but your defense, I mean, his defenses have always struggled and, and you could be coming out on the losing end in a lot of those games. Did they struggle offensively to a point where they were putting up two points, you know, and the, the only point, and really that wasn't even offensive points. That was, you know, uh, it, it's like, I've never seen his offenses go eight quarters at a time without scoring a, an offensive touchdown, you know, eight straight quarters. Like to me, and maybe I'm wrong. Maybe if, if I go back, you know, you'd be able yeah, to. Yeah, they were, they were bottom half in the pack 12 and scoring in each of those first three years at Washington state. 
Now, obviously, it got better after that. Like they they had some some better years after that, and and the Gardner Minshew year and everything. But even even last year at, at Washington State, like yes, they they led the SEC the SEC. They they led the Pac-12 in scoring offense, but by yards per attempt last year, they were. Oh, sorry, that's the 2020 list. I need the 2019 list. By yards per attempt last year, they were 32nd in the nation. That's fine. Is it air raid excellent? I mean, no. But at the same time, that's not putting up, going eight quarters without scoring an offensive touchdown. That's true. That's true. Like, uh, I've never seen it this bad. kind of my point. Like, I'm not, I'm not saying that they've been, you know, oh, consistently one of the top offensive teams in the country. But you've never seen an offensive guru – air raid system go eight quarters without an offensive touchdown. And at some point you've got to think that he looks at that and say, I've never, I've never had this kind of drought either. Uh, we've got to do something different. Now, granted you're right. He is a very stubborn person. He's very set in his ways. That's something, you know, maybe I'm giving him the benefit of the doubt to say, Hey, you know, if, if, if it's not working, don't try to keep jamming the, the, the square peg in the, the circular hole, try to switch something up and make, I good. I really hope that he does because if he keeps doing this and he keeps having this limited offensive success, and what I mean by limited is almost non-existent, then like I said, I don't think that he's gonna be around at the end of this year. Um, well, to, to your point on on that subject, Mississippi State did just fire an offensive mastermind pretty early for not delivering immediate offensive results. They fired Joe, Joe Moorhead in in two years. Um, when his offense was not up to their expectation. And I don't know that you could say anything but that for Mike Leach right now. It's only five games or four games, however many it is. There's still time left for them. But they do have a very recent track record of firing offensive masterminds who don't produce big results immediately. Well, and and that's kind of like you – if the defense is is terrible, if you're – if you're – Mississippi State, and you're playing like Ole Miss was a few games ago where your defense is just absolute garbage, but you kind of knew that was going to be the case, bringing in a high-powered offensive-minded guy like Mike Leach, but your offense is putting up points where you're competitive in these games and you're just on the losing end of a lot of them, then that's understandable. That's something that will keep you around. you, you know. But when you have been specifically brought in to cause headaches for opposing defenses and – you know, you're supposed to be this offensive minded guy that's putting up this leading the SEC in, in, in total yardage and, 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 and scoring offense and all this stuff, or at least be up there involved in that conversation. And you're going eight quarters without scoring. And you're one of those kind of offenses right now that teams want to face. Then that's a huge problem if you're Mississippi State because you're sitting there looking. And, and, and like I said, a huge issue with this right now is the offensive line. Mike Leach can't run his typical styled offense with this offensive line, which is why I say he's got to try to switch something up to mask a terror. You got to get the ball out of Will Rogers hands or KJ Costello's hands quickly, not these long developing route combinations downfield. I understand you got the receivers for it. You don't have the offensive line for it. And maybe the, the, the decision makers at Mississippi state can look at that and say, if he can have some time to recruit offensive linemen, get that position better, continue to recruit well at the skill positions and get guys in, you know, grad transfers or whatever, then you might be in a position where this offense will start to click and work. Um, or and, and what's crazy to me is Garrett Schrader, who entered the transfer portal, he is not a Mike Leach-style quarterback. But his mobility, I think, could really help with this struggling offensive line. Um, you know, if, if, if you can't have an offensive line that can protect a pocket passer, then you need to get somebody that can get on the move and make plays outside the pocket. And he'll be running for his life the entire season and it still won't yield a ton of success, but you'll have more than you're having. Uh, just it, it, to me, it, most of their problem, while they have some likable pieces, I liked Greg Island coming into the season. You know, he, he, he just had just not perform well in pass protection whatsoever. I like Charles Cross long-term very much. So red shirt freshman, he's going to be around for a while like him a lot. Um, and, and I don't even know how to say it, uh, Travius Johnson. I always just say Johnson, the right tackle, just cause I always struggle with that. His, his nickname is dollar bill. I just go with that. Oh yeah. Love that. What? Well, yeah. You got dollar bill there at right tackle. Absolutely. I like him pretty well, but it's just, 
man, if this <laughs> – it's been one of the most disappointing things, and everybody overreacted after that week one against LSU. Um, I didn't to the same degree other people did, uh, but I can certainly admit that I did. You know, I thought, okay, this is going to be you know one of those teams that is they're I don't think they're going to win a, a ton of games, but they're going to be involved in every contest they go in, and from the from week two on, just garbage. So I was completely wrong on them. A lot of people were wrong on them. And I just I don't know. You've got to do something to fix it. You can't just say, well, we got a poor offensive line, so we're going to be terrible offensively this year. You you surely to God, Mike Leach will switch some things up because when when he's terrible, you know you don't you don't care about what he says and stuff. You know Lane Kiffin at least you know he's he, and Ole Miss is pretty bad too, one and four or whatever they are, but. They've been involved in the Auburn game. They were involved in the Alabama game. They they've been very competitive in those contests. Um, and so, you know, and they were, you know, I guess four to two, there's, there's really, there hadn't been a game. They've just, uh, I guess, you know, they ended up making it close to the end against Arkansas, but Arkansas handled them pretty well for the majority of that game, but they've been involved in every game they've played in. And, you know, so the, the Lane Kiffin stuff is entertaining, but when you're garbage, when you're the bottom, you know, you're just getting trounced and it's like the, the entertainment factor of Mike Leach, it's wearing thin and the offensive line, you know, uh, Travis Rear uh, shared something on Twitter, and and it was just it was terrible. You know that I don't remember who they were going against, but three man front only brought three people, um, three defenders, and you know against five offensive linemen from Mississippi State, and they're putting pressure on the quarterback and and, and knocking KJ Costello down. He ends up getting the pass off. It was a very off the mark pass to an open receiver downfield but he gets drilled while he's trying to throw it. And then no offensive lineman helps him up. You know, he's just, he's left to get up himself and, and you can clearly see that he's frustrated. And that just, that one play has been a perfect summary of Mississippi state's offense this year. So they've got to do something to change it up. I, I don't think they will, but we'll, we'll see. You, you make a, you make a decent point that um, uh, Mike Leach hasn't quite been in a situation like this before, but he's also a, a very headstrong individual. So I'd be, I'd be kind of surprised if you see schematic elements out of this offense that you haven't seen both in Mississippi state's short time under him and in his previous tenures at at Washington state and Texas tech. But we'll, we'll, we'll see. We'll, we'll revisit that when, uh, when the game is played. My, my last note on this, I want to have a few uh, numbers in, in people's minds going into the, the game. Devontae Smith and Najee Harris are both working their way up Alabama's record books. Devontae Smith has 2,665 career receiving yards. He's 77 behind Jerry Judy for fourth in school history and 116 behind Calvin Ridley for third. He's currently averaging 111 yards per game. So getting up to third is, is perfectly feasible. He is four receiving touchdowns from tying Amari Cooper's school career school record for career receiving receiving touchdowns. I've butchered that. I'm going to try it again. He is four receiving touchdowns away from tying Amari Cooper's record for receiving touchdowns in a career. That's a little better. Um, he is also. Let's see. No, wait, is that. Uh, did I mess that up, too? We're just going to leave that. Point is, he's close on receiving yards to getting to third in, in school history. I'll, I'll revisit the the touchdowns thing in time for that story to post on Saturday. Najee Harris, on the rushing yards standpoint, he is a, a little less than away from Damian Harris for eighth in school history and roughly 150 away from Trent Richardson for seventh in school history. Obviously, both of those. Or feasible rushing touchdowns. If he has one against Mississippi State, it would put him in the top 10 in school history for single season touchdowns with 15. And it would tie him for fifth in school in school history for career rushing touchdowns with 35. He'd he tie himself with with Trent Richardson. So Najee Harris and Devontae Smith are both working their way up Alabama's record books at the moment. It, um, it, it it's pretty wild to me just because you know the success that that Jalen Waddle had as a true freshman despite the talent you know the other talent you know 875 yards or whatever it was receiving 
you think the sky's the limit for this kid. And then because of the talent uh, that that's, that was coming back, he ends up dropping to, to fourth on the team and receiving yards and stuff as a sophomore and was still a, a crucial part during a few key games, including um, against Auburn and, 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 you know, a couple of others too. But then, you know, finally – Things start, you know, the, the, the Jerry Judy and Henry Ruggs the third move on to the NFL. You say Jalen Waddle's finally going to have a chance to be the guy, really work his way up those numbers now because of, you know, he had success, because of his sophomore year, and you just assume that he's going to be going on to the NFL following his junior season. You sit there and say he's probably not going to ever really threaten any sort of major records, but he can start to climb that list, and you want to see it because as far as best receivers in Alabama history, I don't think he's like the the, the top of the top, but I think he's up there. And what's crazy is, is because of a, an unfortunate injury, um, you know, he was balling out uh, well over 100 yards a game, was going to probably put up a thousand plus yards this year. That would have certainly helped his case as far as, you know, where he ended up standing in the, the overall record books. But it was cut short yet again, just after 500 yards uh, through the air. And, and like I said yesterday, he missed the game. Uh, against Tennessee because it was the first snap of the game and he's still leading the team and receiving yards and, and was tied for first in receiving touchdowns. So that's super unfortunate to see. I'd love to hear him, you know, where he stood and was climbing to. Um, I know that everybody's a huge fan of Waddle. He's been an absolute blast to watch, but for these other guys, you know, Najee Harris and Devonte Smith, Devonte Smith's probably been one of the most quiet, uh, you know, statistical, just dominant, you know, re- you know, offensive players that Alabama was off ever had because he didn't get the recognition, even though he led the team in receiving yards and stuff last year, he just didn't get the same amount of recognition as Ruggs and, and Judy. And really the third one that anybody's ever mentioned to that group has always been Waddle, um, despite the statistical output. So for Smith and where he ends up standing, that's fantastic. I think he's very underrated as far as, you know, where he's viewed amongst fans. I could be wrong on that, but just, uh, Appreciate you updating the numbers, and I guess we'll, let's start doing this kind of every week, you know, kind of following right. a, along. I think that would be fun, and I liked hearing a lot of where guys were standing. Okay, I, I can do that, and, and I've, I've figured out my issue with the receiving touchdowns. So he is four receiving touchdowns away from tying Amari Cooper's career um, record for 31 receiving touchdowns. That's the school record, by the way. And 16 receptions is is a number of importance for for Devontae because that would put him in a tie for fourth uh, with Julio for career receptions. And it would also get him knocking on the door of the top 10 in school history for single season receptions, which he's already in. His 68 catches last year tied for sixth in, in school history. So that, I mean, 16 catches in one game seems pretty unlikely and, and so does for receiving touchdowns although he did it against Ole Miss last year um the receiving yards are more of a, an immediate threat since a 116 yard game would put him tied for third in school history and career receiving yards but the if he just goes crazy with receptions or receiving touchdowns he's he's knocking on the door there too absolutely all right well that's gonna do it for yet another episode of the Bama Beat Podcast. Brett, always appreciate you hopping on here with me. We'll be talking Monday, and you know I'm going to have a lot to say about Mike Leach if he doesn't change up anything. Uh, first of all, I'll give you credit for being right, but second of all, I'm going to rip him a new one. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, you know it's been fun. It always is fun. Appreciate everybody listening along. Like I said, this is the Bama Beat Podcast brought to you by Wickles Pickles. <laughs>